Hello and welcome to another edition of Childhood Remastered. This is the podcast where we look back at the cartoons and shows of our youth and see if they're still worth a damn. Or not. Or not, which is far too often the case. I'm Sean. And I'm Chris. And today we are going to be looking at one of my favorite movies of all time. It's a movie that has a very near and dear place in my heart. It's something I remember watching to the point of ruining at least two or three VHS tapes. And that movie is... The Flight of Dragons! Flight of Dragons Soaring the purple light In the sky or in my mind, flight of dragon, sail past reality, leave illusion behind. <laughs> okay, so there's a story behind why I do this. I don't think Sean realizes this, but every time we talk about this movie, Sean does that. He does it every time. Well, it's because it's a it's a uh, it's a line from the movie. It actually happens in the movie. It does. Oh, like at the end. A flight of dragons. I command it. The flight and uh, I think they say the I think they say the phrase "flight of dragons" twice in in the movie. That's one of those things they did back in the '80s. This movie came out in 1982, and that's totally something that they used to do, where they would find some sort of way, whether it was animated or not, where they would try and work the name of the movie into the dialogue of the movie. Like I think they did it for God. I can't just all kinds of movies. I'm trying to think of like when did they say the rats of Nim? Uh, did they even do that for for Secret of Nim? They I don't might know. have. I don't but, know. But but they used to do it all the time. And uh, so when the first time Sean did it, it cracked me up. And <laughs> so now, like every time I every time I think about this movie, I think of Sean saying the flight of dragons. Yeah. Well, <laughs> when you we'll we'll play the sound clip at some point, but but it's. Well, we'll get into it, but it's it's James Earl Jones saying it, and just hearing him sort of yell, scream it, scream, really. yeah, yeah. a flight of dragons, like like is that really did Darth Vader just do that? Yeah, he did. He, <laughs> he kind of did. He totally did that. So so before we get started too far in, we're doing a it's a California craft pack that we picked up. It's a bunch of beer from Anchors. Uh, Anchor Brewing. Because, goddammit, we love California. For, and we love all beer. of its foibles. And all of its beer. So, it's... Whatever, uh, whatever, Portland. You can have all your microbrews. We have enough down here, too. We have more. We have better. Ah, it's tasty. Yes, it is. So, the movie that we're doing, The Flight of Dragons, is a movie that kind of, sort of, combines two books together. The first is a book by the name The Flight of Dragons. Yeah. <laughs> which is like a speculative natural history book. Yeah, it's kind of it's kind of weird, you know. It, it, and it came out in 79. And yeah. then the other book is The Dragon and the George, which is a, a huge book series. There's like 10 novels in the series, and that came out in 76. Yeah, it's what's what's funny about the 
You would think that the, the source material, since the movie is called The Flight of Dragons, you would think that the source material of The Flight of Dragons would be the primary influence on this movie. But it's not. There's really hardly anything from that book other than a short sequence where they explain sort of the anatomy of dragons and the main character's the main character's name. So I feel like the design of the dragons and the world the the way it visually looks is heavily influenced by that speculative natural history book. The story, however, I think is what's highly influenced by the other book, The Dragon and the George. Yeah. Uh, so, so as much as like even the the characters' names in the in the Flight of Dragons movie are taken from the characters in the Dragon and the George. Yes. So, so this movie is um, it's interesting because it was released direct to video in 1982, and it was aired as an ABC Saturday Night movie. Um, and you can tell too. I got the when I rewatched it. And I've noticed this before. You can always tell what movies were made for TV because there's commercial cuts. Yes. Where there's a fade out and then a fade in. And when they fade in, they'll do like a quick like two second recap kind of. Yeah. Like a repeat of like back from our commercial break kind of thing. Yeah. Like if something was barreling towards the protagonist and then it cut to commercial, when it came back, it would show that thing barreling towards him again. And then it would be the resolution of whatever that. Yes. Yeah. Now it did like a VHS run, and then it was released uh, to DVD in 2009 through Warner Brothers as part of this like archive collection. And what's funny is the DVD box art is awful. Oh, it it's terrible. so terrible! It's terrible. It is not. It is not indicative of the art style of the movie at all. You know what's interesting about that that I have to mention is I have the Hobbit the that's done by these same guys Rankin on, and Bass. Yeah, the Rankin and Bass Hobbit that came out. And the animation on the DVD box art is just as bad. And I think it was done by the same people probably who did the crappy the, box they art. They probably used the same person. I, I'm sure they did. So, Sean just mentioned uh, Rankin and Bass. So, Rankin and Bass uh, is... Don't they sound like a rap duo? They do. It's like old white guys like with... Uh, I, I just <laughs> It's like two elderly white guys uh, with uh, Hawaiian shirts and, and walkers like trying to do a rap battle. Word to your grandmother, children. Down here in Florida. Uh, <laughs> We're South Miami's hottest rap duo. Oh, God. I would pay a lot of money to see that, actually. Um, <laughs> well, Rankin and Bass, uh, they first worked at an ad agency in New York. And Rankin began his career as an art director for the American Broadcasting Company in the 40s. And in 55, Rankin and Bass got together and they formed this company called Videocraft International, which then later became Rankin and Bass. Um, but they moved into the animation in the 1960s. And the, the reason why we're going into this is because the two of them worked really close together for all kinds of stuff. And they had this um, stop-motion animation uh, style that uh, Rankin referred to as Animagic. And so they did all kinds of stuff with, like, wood puppets by Japanese artists and... They they did like a ton of different projects together, right? I mean, yeah, no, they, they they've done a ton of stuff. So some of their most famous features were like these holiday themed ones you guys might have heard about, um, like Rudolph the Red Nosed Reindeer, Santa Claus is Coming to Town, uh, Jack Frost, Frosty the Snowman. There's a bunch of these, 
Um, the one that I always remember is the uh, the year without a Santa Claus because that's the um, the heat meister. The heat meister. The yeah. Cold, what is the heat meister and the cold meaner? The heat meaner and the cold meister. Something like that. Yeah. But I always that was the one that I always remembered as a kid. But there, there's a song in that one about Santa Claus being a jackass or something. Something. Yeah. yeah. But but it's like it, their their stop motion stuff is iconic. Absolutely iconic. And. Uh, the the music the musical director for them his name is Mari Laws and uh, he had said that Rankin was inspired by these he was inspired for his filmmaking by the original 1933 King Kong have you ever seen that yeah it's a lot of stop motion yeah it's like all stop motion I it think was, I think my favorite scene from the original uh, the original uh, King Kong is where Kong reaches into the window and grabs the girl and pulls her out and she's like. Ah! But it's just like a giant, like, paper mache arm that's oh, reaching yeah. in and grabbing it's her. super weird. And moving really slowly. <laughs> you can just imagine it was on some kind of train track. They was moving it out of the scene. Well, it was in 1933. Yeah. Well, it's You know what's kind of cool about that is King Kong is... That movie was part of this, like, very short era of filmmaking um, known as pre-code era, which was... Basically, from the sound introduction of films in 29 until 1934, when, like, the filmmaking industry, essentially, the they stamped down on these kind of, like, code of conduct that, essentially, they... they, they like the rating system. But it was pre-rating system. Yeah. And it wasn't even a rating system. It was, like, do's and don'ts of, like, stuff that they weren't allowed to do. And there's, like, all kinds of, like, just weird stuff that they weren't allowed to to discuss things about like they weren't allowed to to mention anything related to uh like uh premarital sex um is there any other kind communism of sex? there's like all kinds of these like weird rules about things uh that they weren't allowed to talk about hmm. um and and it didn't go away until really like foreign filmmaking came into the US and and filmmakers kind of started doing their own thing basically give the middle finger and that was like in the 60s but there's a good like 30 plus years where essentially if they wanted to make a movie, they had to come and and their script had to pass muster, basically. And there was some stodgy group of ne'er-do-well movie producer people who were like, nope, nope, take it back. I don't like the look of it. Yeah, there was, there was a couple of guys. I mean, I don't really need to go that far into history about like. The MPPDA and all this stuff, but but it it is kind of interesting. If any of you guys want to go out and like, we'll put a, a link to the description, yes, uh, on our website on that. But but it's it, it is kind of an odd piece of trivia. So yeah, this movie though, before this movie came out, there was The Hobbit, which I mentioned, which came out in seventy seven, and it won a Peabody. That that's what I know Rankin and Bass from the most is The Hobbit. Yeah, I, I like that Hobbit. No, it was remind me. Was because there were two hobbits, or maybe I'm thinking of Return of the King. Was so it, was Return of the King the one where they had the weird shadow people? That was okay. So there was a Hobbit, and there was the Return of the King, and those they skipped were, the other two books. No, the other two books were combined into a single uh, Fellowship of the Rings book in a similar art style, but I don't think it was tied to them. Yeah. If I remember correctly. That was, it was really weird. That was the one that had the shadow effects. Yeah, it was so, so weird. It was kind of creepy. Those shadow effects were the special effects I was talking about that pushed Don Bluth away from Disney. Ah, so Rankin and Bass are the ones that drove Don Bluth away from Disney. How awesome is that? Well, maybe. For all of us. Maybe they did. That's true. We kind of we kind of won out. We got Secret and M and American Tale out of it, so. American Tale. Yeah. 
And Rockadoodle. Don't forget. Rockadoodle. <laughs> I going to say American Tale, the heartwarming story of Russian Jewish mice emigrating to America. Where the streets are filled with cheese. Where there aren't any Nazis. That's true. <laughs> well, it's true in the century, but yeah. Um, now this this movie, the animation, is really a credit to Topcraft, who did a lot of the animation for uh, Rankin and Bass. And the animation coordinator on this movie is Toro Hara, and uh, the storyboard uh, and animation director directors are Katsuhisa Yamada and. Fumihiko Takayama. Wow, my Japanese didn't sound that bad, but it's still not great. <laughs> and they're sitting there um, going, what? Get out of here, white boy. Yeah, no, uh, and so they, basically this is another one of those, oh, one of them, another one of those, uh, animated movies from the 80s where it was produced in America but animated largely in Japan. Yeah. Topcraft is a break off of Toei Animation, which has done a bunch of other stuff. We've mentioned them before too. And, um, they're famous because they did Nausicaa, The Valley of the Wind, and the they wind did Macross. And they did, uh, yeah, they did a bunch of stuff. But the studio went bankrupt and dissolved in 85. And they kind of split in half. Uh, Hayao Miyazaki kind of went with one part. And then the animators kind of went with another. And um, The animators had no idea what they were doing. And so they laid off, like, most of the animation staff. And they changed the name to Studio Ghibli, which we all have heard of. Ghibli, and then, Ghibli, Ghibli, Ghibli. And then they all kind of ended up together. Topcraft also uh, worked with them on Thundercats and Silverhawks. I love Thundercats. Yeah. It's one of my favorite cartoons probably oh. of all time i love silver hawks too though silver hawks ah! <laughs> <laughs> well um you know let, let's talk about who wrote this is a guy named uh romeo uh mueller he did the screenplay he wrote for uh jack benny he's like an old-time comedian he did some some tv uh work and he wrote a bunch of the rankin bass stuff yeah, he also he... did puff the magic dragon oh good for him yeah and wrote for <laughs> thundercats so, now, we've got to mention Peter Dickinson, who is a, a credited writer for this, but he is the one who wrote that speculative novel. Yeah, The Flight of Dragons. The Flight of Dragons. The same name. And he's also credited as the main character in this movie, too. They changed the name of the main character from the second book that the plot is based off of to the name of the writer of the first book, which and, is kind of confusing. But, they, but... Sort of, they sort of tie it in, because the story... The story, and we'll get into this later, the story incorporates the character of Peter Dickinson, who is writing the Flight of Dragons book, the speculative, you know, what's it called? Uh, cryptozoological book about dragons and their their anatomy. So they, they take the author and they make him a character in the, in story. the story. Which is kind of cool. Yeah. The author of the book is turned into a character in the story whose whose actual story is based off of another book, largely. And in this movie, they make reference to him being the author of the speculative zoological book. Yeah. It's like, it's kind of a mindfuck, yeah, really. It, it's, it's definitely like, it, <laughs> it's not something that a kid would pick up on. It's like, wait a minute, isn't it? Because like, a kid wouldn't have read the book in the first place, so they're no. just watching a movie about dragons. Like, no. Well, uh, Peter Dickinson did write kids' books, though. In fact, he, he won two Carnegie medals. One for a book, uh, it was like a children's historical novel about the Boxer Rebellion, and then another one about, it was like 33 Old Testament collection stories. But he's only one of only seven writers to win two Carnegies. Hmm. Well, I, um, went to, I went to Catholic grade school, so I probably read the Old Testament book probably. Yeah, this one's called City of Gold. 
I don't remember it, but... Do you remember a cartoon called The City of Gold? Yeah, but but that one's, like, about... It's got, like, kind of vague Mayan, kind of Aztec-y reference yeah. and stuff. But very, very um, much Japanese animation from, yeah, like, the early Yeah, 80s. I think it's only one season. Yeah. But the, the intro is awesome. The yeah. music for the intro the is... The City of Gold. gold. Yeah, 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 it's so good. <laughs> yeah. No, I love that. It's so good. Uh, the, so the novel... The, the other the novel series... The George. The Dragon and the George is written by this guy named Gardner Dick, uh, Dixon. He actually uh, is a World War II vet. He's famous for writing a bunch of other stuff. Yeah, so the other beer apparently is good. The Liberty... The Liberty, Liberty Ale? Oh, yeah. Oh, Liberty God. Ale. You haven't had that before? Mm-mm. I love that beer. Oh, um, America! He's won uh, three Hugo Awards. Um, he's known actually for writing three famous uh, novel series. So the Dragon Knight series, the one we're talking about. Another one called the Child Cycle series. Um, is and that a bicycle made out of children? That would be pretty grotesque but <laughs> I, I i would be curious how that would work how imagine, that would function i would imagine that the child would be the body of the bicycle and then you'd have a couple have more children attached. oh see i was thinking a couple of children have like linked arms and feet and turn themselves into wheels see that would just turn into a two the bike would be too big hey you can make a bike whatever size you want but the children are all alive so when you're riding the bike it's just like <laughs> I imagine. I feel like that's something out of a cartoon, like a SpongeBob cartoon or something. SpongeBob, um, I'm probably more like Ren and St- Oh Snippy, yeah, maybe. Or uh, Rocco's Modern Life, probably. Oh, that shows. That, that's one we should cover later. Is Rocco's? I love. There's that There's a show. lot of weird shit in that movie. Yeah, there is. That uh, show. There, yeah, there's a ton of stuff. So yeah, so he he wrote some stuff. Oh, something to mention that I I discovered about this writer. That I completely forgot about. There's a book, one of those books that I learned to read on when I was a kid. Um, he wrote some some children's books called "The Secret Under the Sea," which there's three books in this. It's uh, it's it's um it's like kind of an early reader book mm-hmm. that about this like kind of far flung future, and they go on adventures kind of under the sea. But the books are written in like. I think like the 60s or something, and they are fucking impossible to find. Huh. I know, because as soon as I saw the covers, like, I used to have that. And then I went to look on, on eBay and Amazon to try and find them. They're ex- If you can find them, they're really expensive. So huh. Several hundred dollars. For a friggin' book. Yeah. The books I learned to read on were the Critter books. Oh. <laughs> I, I, I read all kinds of stuff. I read like... That's a, uh, that's the Mark first... Twain and a lot of stuff when I was well, really la dee da. The the critter book. There was one about like taking a bath or something that I remember is the first book when I was however old I was, like sixteen, reading that book and being like, I can read this. You were a little old then. <laughs> I mean, you know, some of us bloom a little slower than others. But no, I, I remember. I remember sitting there. I was like four. Eleanor or likes these books. Yeah. Well, you got book. When we had our kid, when when my wife and I had our kid, instead of uh, cards, we told people to bring kids' books to the baby shower, and then like put a note in there or something of who it was from and why you were giving it. And uh, a couple of the books that we got from Sean were the Critter books. Oh, and, that's because that's the books that. I yeah, read. yeah. And so, so, uh, so she, we, we go through those with her a lot. She loves those. Yeah. Um, they're if you have kids at home, those are good books for yeah. them. Um, Critter. All right. So. Um, Another person to mention in the music is Don McLean. Don McLean. Some of you may not know, but he may be possibly known for the uh, Miss America Pie song. American Pie, yeah. Um, Butchered by Madonna. Well, later in in life. He's still alive. He actually, he's a folk singer, and he's got a lot of good album, or a lot of good songs, and his, um, they're very long, just like American Pie is a very long song. Well... What I found interesting, like, as I was kind of, like, looking through stuff, you know, IMDb and Wikipedia and a bunch of websites and stuff, 
if you go to his like say Wikipedia page, the the information that that he's tied to this movie is not directly like it's not that easy to find. Yeah, I actually had to go and kind of like look around for stuff at, like. Uh, single releases and stuff that, and and that's where I was able to find the information. Which is funny because he's he's credited in the beginning credits. He so. is, and he does the title song, which yeah. is really good, by the way. Fight I, of Dragons. I love that title song. I don't even care. You know, it's um, a really good song. That's the thing. So to, um, these Rankin and Bass, the 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 later ones, like the uh, the, the Hobbit. Hobbit. Oh, the music <clears throat> in the Hobbit. The so Hobbit. Good. Um, I know you don't like it, but the the last unicorn. You don't like it, but the music the is good. The story's stupid. I, okay, okay, but the music is good, right? The music's good. The it's music animated good. well, but and and this movie, you know which you know which one the song I always remember from uh, Return of the King. Which one? The the animated one. No, what song? Oh, uh, Frodo of the Nine Fingers. Frodo. Oh, Frodo of the Nine Fingers and, and the, the Ring, Ring of Doom. Doom. Yeah, that one. Yeah, <laughs> I, see, I always remember the ones from the Hobbit because I I. So the as much as Sean watched Flight of Dragons, that's how much I watched The Hobbit. Yeah, uh, I probably watched this movie two or three times when I was a kid, and I liked it, but but I didn't watch it like The Hobbit because we had three copies on VHS of The Hobbit, and we burned through all of them. I had I had I bought a copy as an adult on VHS because they didn't have the DVD out yet, and I kept my VHS player to watch The Hobbit. I had one copy of Flight of Dragons on VHS, and I remember the stupid ass box art of everyone smiling. Like as they're because the box art is Carolinus on Gorbash, and they just have stupid smiles on their face. So I had that one. I ruined that one because I watched it a million times. And then I had a recorded version of it from like a Saturday Night Family movie that had the commercials that we had to fast forward through. And I remember that one probably the most. I watched that one probably the most because I remember at the end, you know, that they do the credits thing and then they put them up in the corner. And it's like. Uh, tomorrow on Good Morning America, blah blah blah. Like <laughs> I remember that it was you know Joan London. Oh God! Yeah. So it was a while ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it was recorded in like the mid '80s, and I ruined that one. And then I think my dad bought me a copy of it when I was like 19. He bought me a VHS copy. Kids today should be very happy they don't have to deal with VHS. Oh, the tracking and oh my God, is this a nightmare? We recorded images on magnetic tape. It was a time of. Wonder. One of the movies that we originally wanted to do, the Mr. Boogity movie, that was how we had it. Was it was re- recorded from a Disney? Uh, it was like one of those Disney movie events. It was a Disney Sunday night movie. Yeah, and, and we recorded the it off of TV. Of color. So we had all of these like really awesome vintage commercials stuck in there, and we had the VHS for a really long time. I don't know what happened to it. It's gone well, that's, now. That's but. the thing. That's what's great about CDs and DVDs and Blu-rays is they don't really degrade. Like the the media doesn't degrade over time, but these old tapes, like cassette tapes and VHS tapes. Oh, God, tapes, they're gone now. They they're just... the, the tapes disintegrate. And if you yeah. watch them too many times, the tapes disintegrate. Yeah, that uh, I busted the tape for The Mask, our VHS copy. Well, that's okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, at the time, I thought I was the coolest kid ever because I could quote The Mask. Back now, in my day! Now I'm a 34-year-old man, and it's like not the best idea to be able to quote The Mask verbatim. Yeah, how uh, <laughs> Back in my day, if you watched a movie too many times, it broke! So you had to monitor how many times you watched the movie. They were more precious to us because they were limited. Now, now, now Sean's turned into an old prospector. <laughs> Get off my land! We're going to go mining next. 
<laughs> well, you know, it, we talked about the music. Uh, did you know that this movie never had an official soundtrack release? That's a shame because there's some good songs. There in it. are, and the background music's really good. But a couple of years ago, they were working on a live ad- uh, live action adaptation that ended up getting scrubbed. And they um, there's a few of the songs that got re recorded and released online. And we'll also put a description of that. Uh, Drowning Pools. A link to that in the description. Drowning Pools Flight of Dragons, I think, was a really far departure from Don McLean's. Well, did you listen to it? Because I put the, the description in our notes. I, it's it's really good. The quality is so good on the re-release. <laughs> it did not. No, it's so good. Uh, so, the cast? We they, should talk about the cast. All-star. All-star cast. It is. And I like at the time, I didn't know it. I just, like... I have some issues with a little bit of the acting, a little yeah, bit. Uh, yeah, a couple no, of the guys. Weird. Oh, Susanna. Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, 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 so yeah, yeah. okay. So the the main the main character. Well, it's hard. To, I mean, he is the main character, but he's not the first character that you see. But your our protagonist. The protagonist is done by John Ritter, and the protagonist's name is Peter Dixon. Peter Dickinson. Yeah. Yeah. So for those of you who maybe don't know who John Ritter was, he was an actor who uh, was known for. Three's Company was Jack of Three's Company. He won a bunch of Emmys and Golden Globes for that and stuff. He also did the Problem Child movies. He did. I love the Problem Child movies. Yeah, and I loved those movies when I was a kid. He did Sling Blade, Bad Santa, uh, Stephen King's It. He was in North, which that movie is terrible. I I want us to cover that one. Um, he also was the voice of Clifford the Big Red Dog. I did not know that. Yeah, when it was I like on TV. In the, I like in the notes that you put North. <laughs> yeah, no, I literally put laugh because <laughs> that movie is laughably bad. Yeah. yeah. Um, he was a big, he's big into physical comedy. That's, that's what he was known for on Three's Company. He did a yes. lot of physical comedy. Yeah, do you, he was, do you remember, this is silly, but do you remember how he got the apartment in Three's Company with Christy and He pretended Janet. to be gay. Yeah. And then every time Mr. Roper came in, he had to be, Hello, Mr. Roper! And he's like, Oh, Jack, get away from me. Yeah, he had to pretend to be gay to get there. But, like, now nobody gives a shit. Yeah. But, you know, this is in the 70s. Um, he died. He actually died of an aortic aneurysm that burst. He had a, I yeah. think... A, That's why he was filming uh, Eight Rules for Dating My Daughter. Or something. I don't, eight I don't remember. Eight Simple Rules. Eight Simple Rules, yeah. yeah. And he died because he had an aortic aneurysm. Yeah, That's how um, Joseph... Um, Joseph Holbrook, the U.S. ambassador to Afghanistan, died in 2009. I, I remember that. And uh, I'm trying to remember. But it's, well, we don't need to go yeah. into medicine stuff. Other people have that happen yeah. to them. Um, Carolinas is the big magician, and he's done by Harry Morgan, who is uh, Colonel Potter from MASH. That's probably his most seminal role. And Officer Gannon from Dragnet. That's kind of what he's known for. So, yeah. um, Princess Millicent was somebody named Alexandra Stoddard, who has, like, no, no history that I could find. Um, the pawnbroker is Larry Storch, who was from F Troop, and he's done like a ton of voice work. Yeah, you can you can tell his voice is like you can go on cruises. He's done a ton of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Um, now Omadon is uncredited as James Earl Jones. James Earl Jones is well, he's in the he's in the beginning credits. He's just not credited as Omadon. Right. No, yeah. that, that's what I mean. Like he's not credited as, as Omadon. So James Earl Jones, there's a, I put some info in here because he's a really interesting dude. He was pre-med in your uh, University of Michigan, and he joined ROTC and loved the military aspect of it. So he quit his pre-med, switched to drama. Uh, he was commissioned that to the U.S. Like Army. Such a, such like a departure. I know, like, right? I'm I'm sick of trying to be a doctor. I'm going to be an actor. It's like yeah, what? It's great. Well, uh, it's like what's his name from um, The Hangover. The Zach Galifianakis. No, no, the the old Asian guy who plays like the, the oh, guy who ends but he actually is a doctor. He's a real doctor yeah. who got into acting. Yeah, 
yeah. but I mean, it's kind of like that. So. Yeah. Well, his first role was in Knocked Up when he actually played a doctor. That's why he got that role, because he is a doctor. Yeah, exactly. And he knew what to do. And he's actually funny. James Earl Jones completed Ranger School and received his Ranger tab. Um, which so basically, is, James Earl Jones is the most badass actor who's ever lived. Oh, uh, no, that's not true. There's some other ones who have, like... There are some ones from World James War II. James Earl Jones <laughs> is the most... What, Audie Murphy? Yeah, probably Audie Murphy. There, there's a bunch, actually. There, there, like, there was one, I can't remember, that, that was shot, like, three times. And, yeah, there's a bunch that are pretty badass, but... Um, so James Earl Jones is the most badass actor who's ever lived. All right, we'll go with that. He's got an, <laughs> Ox, uh, an Oscar nom for Great White Hope, and he was in... Uh, he was uh, Thulsa from... Uh, <laughs> from Conan the I Barbarian. remember that. You know what I think my favorite role of his was? The professor in... Oh, God, what's the movie? Oh, the Soul Man. Oh, yeah. The, so the, I was the, thinking the of... Black, uh, the black professor who couldn't tell that the white guy was wearing blackface. Oh, see, I was thinking of uh, Mufasa. He's also from Coming to America. <gasps> yeah. Yeah. Funny story. I love that so, movie so much. Funny story. Soul Glow. In Coming to America, the wife... Right, I think this is correct. The his his queen, his wife in that movie, played Sarabe. Sarabe was that the name of his wife in oh, Lion Is it really? Yeah, I'm almost positive. I'll look it up while you. You're talk. my queen to be. <laughs> He's. I mean, he was Mufasa, and then there was that like character. Was it Darth? Darth Vader? Uh, something. The Dark Father. Yeah, Darth Vader. Yeah. So if you guys have seen Star Wars, it's Darth Vader. What I think is kind of cool is he originally didn't want to be known as Darth Vader. He he felt he hadn't earned it because he was just doing voice work. And it wasn't until everybody was freaking out and wondering who it was that he decided to finally take credit for it. Uh, which is really cool that he at first was like, no, I don't need it. Yes, I was right. It's Madge Sinclair. She played Sarabi and the Queen in Coming to America. That is awesome. <laughs> that is the most <laughs> badass thing. I had no idea. Yeah. Well, so they played they played two different African royalties. That is so cool. <laughs> that is awesome. Yeah. Well, another character is uh, Solaris, who's one of the wizards, and this character quote antiquity. It's just like this disembodied voice, and it's done by Paul Frees, who's the man of a thousand voices. Oh yeah. Um, he is uh, Boris Badenoff from Rocky and Bullwinkle, and Ludwig uh, von Drake from Disney's World of Color. And uh, he's also the voice of the ghost host on the Haunted Mansion. If you've ever been to Disneyland, it's like. A thousand and one ha- uh, happy haunts. No, well, he's the voice on uh, Haunted Mansion where, where like you're in the elevator and he's like, and I propose this yeah, chilling no, challenge yeah. to find, find a way, way out. out. No, he's also the voice in the cab, though, in the little dune buggy. Oh, yeah. Dune buggy. He's dune also buggy. He's the auctioneer pirate on Pirates of the Caribbean. And Give the voice us of, the red one. He's the uh, dead men tell no tale. <laughs> Come on, Derry. Show her your larboard side. And he's also the original voice of Pillsbury Doughboy. So, I mean, this guy is, like, famous as a as a huge voice actor. Yes. Uh, Don Messick is the next voice actor. He did uh, Lao Tezhao. Lao Tezhao. Oh, I, I have some comments about the way that his name is pronounced later. Lao Tezhao. Lao Tezhao is the way that they say it yeah. later, which is... But it's spelled L-O-T-A-E-Z-H-A-O. Lao Tezhao. It's very actually Chinese. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and it's just funny. He's also Giles of the Treetops, who's the yeah. the. He's a couple other characters, yeah. incidental characters in there too. You can tell Don Messick's voice. Yeah, he's Boo Bear and Ranger <clears throat> Smith from Yogi Bear, and Papa Smurf and Azrael on the Smurfs. Um, he's also um, Scooby Doo. Uh, well, you know, and, and Astro from the Jetsons, you know. Yes. Um, so Gorbash the Dragon and Sir Orn are both done by Bob McFadden. 
who also served in World War II and is the voice of Snarf from Thundercats. Snarf! Snarf! Yeah, I think, um, I, I, I thought he was still alive, but apparently looking him up, he's been dead for like 15 years or so. He's died in like 2000. Poor guy. Um, but I love, I love his voice. Um, so Brag the Dragon and uh, Smurgle the Dragon? Briag, whatever. Smurgle. Is, uh, is voiced by Frank Luger uh, in Barney Miller, and he was in The Manchurian Candidate and some other stuff. He's World War II vet. The, there's, there's a bunch of characters in here that are kind of like... Um, so there's this villain from the old Batman series called King Tut. King Tut? Yeah, he was this villain from the from the like the nineteen sixties Batman, and he's voiced by uh, Victor Buono, who's Arg the Wolf in this. Arg, um, Arag, whatever. Am I Arag? Is it Arag? It's it's Arag. I Arag. thought it was Arag. No, whatever. it's 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 Arag. I think. And uh, and then I think the last character is uh, Danielle, who's the archer. Yes. In this, <laughs> and uh, she's from the Last Unicorn. She's uh, Thunder the Barbarian, and. Uh, oh my god, was she the princess in Thunder Thunder the Barbarian? She I, I absolutely so. was. That's I the only she person was. she could have been. Yeah, I think she was. It was only it was only Thundar, Mukla the Ook, or Ukla the Mook. Ukla she the was Mook. later nominated for uh for an Oscar. Oh. Well um, then. Yeah. So for, then, as a producer. That's that's um, the cast. Should we get into the story? Uh we can. Okay. Um, I, I if we're gonna go, get into the story, I there's something that that really like in the very beginning kind of i i laugh every time i watch this and it's the gormash gormash it's like super nerdy that come that carolinas yells out and i laugh every time and it i know that like i'm not supposed to laugh and i'm not supposed to find it funny but i do no i mean there are some very silly things in this the the very beginning of this wait the very beginning of this isn't that the the dove or not the dove the the, the swan the swan yeah but but before that like it opens up if I remember right it it opens up something like he's like riding on Gorbash or something yeah and he, he's like calling out to the dragon he gives us like little thing and then we get the intro song which is like there to get you super pumped up and I have to be honest it does it gets yeah. me pumped up no that this hardcore movie, this movie and all the other Franklin and Bass uh, animated movies. They do uh, they do music and audio so well that it gets you it gets you what you like it does exactly what music in a movie is supposed to do it it, it creates your mood it, it absolutely does and it's the music it's like when you hear it you're like all right this fits I'm good because the movie the music when you listen to it the music is very much sort of ethereal and sort of magical and that's what it that's what you're wanting that's the that's the mentality that you want to have because the whole movie is like this magical journey this mystical quest of of epic proportions and it gets you in that mindset so think about the time period that this movie came out in it's an 82 and what uh, something that that completely it's a thought process that i kind of went through when i was listening to the music it's like oh my god i had all these flashbacks but they were flashbacks to kind of the, the 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 movies from the 1980s that I grew up watching um, that are all about these fantasy epics. So, like, for those of you who don't know, the 1980s was this huge period of time for fantasy epics. So you've got, like, Labyrinth in 86, NeverEnding Story in 84. But then you have a bunch of adult-like-themed movies, like Excalibur. What about and, Legend? Well, I was going to mention that, too. Legend came out in 85. Excalibur's in 81. You had Dragon Slayer. Did you ever see Dragon Slayer? I never saw Dragon oh Slayer. Oh, my God. It's so good. You had the Conan movies. Yeah. 82 was the first one. Then you had the second one. You had Red Sonja. You had Willow. Clash of the Titans, 
Actually, it's 19, uh, the Ray Harryhausen movie, mm-hmm. the stop-motion claymation movie, is at 81. You had Beastmaster. Beastmaster. Oh, my God. <laughs> I can't remember if it was the first Beastmaster or the second Beastmaster, where they had those, like, weird bat people. I think that was the second or the, third one. The second one, where, like, somebody ran and the bat guy, like, grabbed him, and it was like, and then he dropped just a bunch those of Those movies are just, okay, the Beastmaster movies aren't great, but, like, they're very, if you want, like, a time capsule, it's very much like a fantasy time capsule oh, of the 80s. Yeah. I love those. I love those fantasy movies. No, I do too. Because the eighties were like uh, for film and and for this genre for for fiction, the fantasy genre was like a big. It was in its heyday in the nineteen eighties. Yeah, and then and then sci fi hit its heyday in the nineties because you had like the Matrix and all this stuff in the nineties, right? You know what? You know what? That like what also hit its heyday was was the action movie, like the the yeah, like that, Die Hard and stuff. Well, because yeah. I, I was just thinking that. With the Expendables, they tried to recreate the the sort of feel of those '80s movies, and they kind of did. And like Jean Claude Van Damme and all of those. Yeah, Jean Claude Van Damme. You got like your Rambo's and your hundred million Arnold Schwarzenegger movies from the '80s, and your Rockies and your Van. You know all those guys. <gasps> yeah, I mean, I didn't think about it that way, but you're right. Yeah, um, but the fantasy movies were like big in the 80s yeah they were I, i'm glad they were dark crystal yeah oh that's another one i totally forgot to mention there um <laughs> yeah there's there's so many nightmares. but what sean was talking about with the goose or swan or whatever it was yeah. um that scene kind of feels like filler to me you know what's funny it's okay, so, weird so check, i i've seen that scene at least a dozen times i think it's supposed to be like this example of his match his magic failing but it it's just like i don't know it's it felt like up, wasted time so it sets up it sets up. So the whole point, the whole underlying thing of the story is that uh, Carolinus, who is the main, he's one of the main protagonists. It's like there's three, there's four there's brothers four who magical, are wizards. Four magical brothers. So they all, they all, um, they all control a different aspect of reality. Carolinus is the green wizard. His realm is the green world, nature, land. Land. There's yeah. Solarius, the blue wizard, who's like realm the oceans and ocean in the sky. And then you have Lotajal, who's the golden wizard, and he has more, like, he's air and... It's a bunch of bullshit. He's got nothing, because he seems like the most useless one. He's the, like, philosophy wizard. He has, he's, like, air and knowledge. Yeah, so, I mean... And then you have Omadon, who's the red wizard, who... Like, dark magic uh, and evil. Of dark magic and evil. And the the beginning scene, I think it, it, it sort of serves a purpose, because, one, it shows the conflict between... The real world of magic between between the world of man and the world of magic. So you have a you have a swan who's going down a little river, little creek, and a bunch of fairies land on it, and it's just cruising along. And it, and gets, it gets sucked gets, into a water. wheel. It gets sucked into a water wheel, and I don't know if it dies or if it just gets hurt. And then Carolinus wades into the water and like revives it. I feel like he died, and Carolinus brought him back from the yeah. dead. And then Carolinus gets upset, and he, and he gets butt hurt, and he yells at these millers. He yells at the millers, and he says, uh, "Your machines can't." You know, this this shouldn't be. He's upset because he said this shouldn't be. Magic and logic should work together. They should be, they should, like, cooperate. It shouldn't, one shouldn't destroy the other. Which is really kind of the whole theme of this it's entire movie. It's the whole underpinning of the entire movie is that man is moving in a direction where, away from magic. Where he's moving in a direction of and I felt like logic ma- and science. I felt like magic is like an allegory for uh, imagination and ingenuity. Yes. That, that man is moving away from from its mystical, fictional roots 
uh, away from the Bronze Age and into the modern scientific era. Yeah, because and as it does, and as humanity does this, it loses touch with its quote spiritual self. Yeah, because this whole like secondary spiritual awakening of the the, uh, 1980s. It it is kind of weird, but I, I get what they're trying to do. It just felt like. It's just kind of a dumb scene. It could have been done better. Yeah, and then and then Carolinus gets upset, and the Millers come out and they're like, "Oh, fuck off!" And Carolinus is like, "Fine, I'm going to destroy your water wheel." And he tries. To, he conjures some blue magic, and he tries to destroy the water wheel. But he essentially finds out that he's impotent in his old age, and yes. the magic just fizzles and nothing happens. And then the uh, they Miller, laugh at him and he leaves. They no, they laugh at him. They throw rocks at him yeah. and then he leaves. Yeah, so. Then he they cut back and he goes back to his house and you find out that he has dragons and his dragon Smurgle wants to go down and destroy the mill and eat all of the guys. <laughs> he's like, no, 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 no. Let's that not eat humanity. He's like, well, how about good. I? He's like, how about I just go down there and burn a few things and scare them? And he's like, no, that's just leave it alone. Well, uh, the basic like kind of gist of the plot is. Uh, Carolinus realizes that the world of magic is on its way out. And so he wants to get his brothers together. Well, what he wants to do is he wants to fix it. And he's got this plan. But in order to enact this plan with his brothers, he's required to contact all of his brothers, not just the ones who aren't dicks. Yeah. So it's like antiquity quote, which is like the disembodied voice of... Everything. Of everything. Um, There's a lot of like God Christianity allegory here because... Antiquity appears to Carolinus as a glowing tree slash burning bush, and there's uh, turning cider into milk, and then you have um, the hero who's the son of a whatever, and he's got to go on this quest to sacrifice himself, and all this stuff. I mean, it, it's there's a lot of these like kind of underpinnings and I don't know if that has more to do with the books which to be honest I have I've never read but so, actually no because so the books the book that it, did, have you read them I've I've read the the one that did the, that the, the dragon song? and the George so okay. the dragon and the George uh is about a guy who follows his his girlfriend or his wife I can't remember into this realm where he ends up he ends up when he enters the realm his girlfriend is is captured by Briog and Smurgle. Oh, and it's like a it's a rescue quest. It's a rescue quest. But okay. when he transfers in, he finds himself in the body of Gorbash. Okay. Which is similar to this story. Yeah. Yeah. So he, But in this in this movie though, in this movie, it's it's not it's no, not the same story. In this movie, so the, the 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 plot in this movie is that Carolinus wants to create the last realm of magic. He essentially wants to create a a encapsulated Area. Like snow globe of yeah, magic. Of, of magic, where magical creatures can exist without the intrusion of, of, of modern world. So he goes to his brothers, the, the, the three other magical And they're all brothers. on board, but Omadon's not. Yeah. So he tells them, like, our magic is waning. We need to consolidate our power and create this last realm of magic so that we can all exist for all eternity and blah, blah, blah. And Omadon says... Well, you guys are fucking idiots because my realm is dark magic and evil and that is growing at an exponential rate and I don't need you people and I am going to be able to like control man and be able to basically I'm going to corrupt his mind and fuck over humanity and that's how I'll survive. Yeah. I thought it was kind of funny because during that meeting, um, because Carolinus refers to his like little plan as the last land of magic, and Elmadon calls it a quote retirement village for magic. Yeah, which I thought was kind of clever uh, and kind of funny, but and it is, it's exactly what he what it is. So Elmadon is like, no, fuck you guys, I'm going to exist 
in this world and I'm going to thrive and you guys can all fade away. Yeah. And then they decide, well, no, like he, he basically gets up and he's like, no, I'm going to take over the world and you guys can't do anything about it. And he flies away. And then the other three that are left are like, or they formulate a plan. It's Solarius who says, well, I'm going to bring down meteors on him and I'm going to call the, the biggest monsters in the sea. And then the whole thing starts to shake. And they realize, oh crap! Antiquity won't let the three, uh, the four brothers, war each other. So we have to inspire a quest, right? And so basically, we end up. It's a quest movie where we get <laughs> classic, um, classic fantasy quest, right? So, so we get. Uh, we'll explain a little more, but but what happens is is we get Peter, who is from the modern world, ish. Yes. Basically from the early 1980s. He's the 777th son of, of Great Peter. Great Peter, who is some sort of hero in their yeah, world. Peter so, the Dragon Tamer, who taught dragons how to talk. So so they get him, um, and then Gorbash, who is this uh, green dragon, and then you have... Sir Orin Neville Smythe. You have Sir Orin Neville Smythe, who's like a... An, he's a knight who's aging. Yeah. And then you have Danielle, who's an archer. You get uh, Arg the Wolf... Arag. Um, whatever, man. It's, <laughs> it's so stupid. Arag. So Arag the wolf. Um, and then... Um, Giles of the treetops. Yes, Giles of the treetops. And then you also get uh, Briag. No, Briag is the... Or Smeargle. Smeargle. Smeargle, yeah. So the reason that it starts is that, that Antiquity has a rule that three people have to begin a quest. Right. So, so originally the- it's going to be... Originally, it was going to be Sir Peter, Gorbash, and Sir Orin Neville Smile. Right. Smythe. It's like there's some sort of rule that has to be three people for a quest. Yeah. I was thinking, like this whole this entire movie just felt like um, that 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 process was capitalizing on the the D and D like popularity of the early eighties, uh, late seventies. But there weren't any real D and D characters in it. No, but but there were though because you've got you've got a knight, and you've an got archer, you've got that a knight and a rogue, an ar- yeah, a knight, an archer, and a rogue, and then a familiar. Yeah, so so we do we have kind Kinda. of yeah. So what happens is. Briog is Omadon's dragon, and by the way, <laughs> I couldn't stop thinking about this. Omadon's got a hair lip. <laughs> Does he really? He does it goes up like that to his nose? Oh yeah, yeah. I, I couldn't stop like, like a cleft, like a yeah. cleft palate. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I couldn't stop thinking about it. Anyway, Briog is is Omadon's like evil dragon, and and Omadon, he's red, so we know yeah. he's bad. And Omadon sends him to basically. Stop the quest before it starts. Now the quest, by the way, is to capture Omadon's crown. Because that's the source of his power. Right. Yeah. So he sends Briog to essentially get and kill Sir Peter. Peter, who was pulled from modern times. And he goes and grabs him. And Gorbash goes to try and get him back. While Carolinus does a retrieval spell. And it ends up, Carolinus screws it up because his magic is, is waning. And he does a combination spell instead of a retrieval spell. And he merges Peter and Gorbash. But they don't know that yet. So I thought that 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 whole process was really annoying. Because you've got... You've got... Carolina saying, oh, I'm going to use a spell. And and then you've got the dragon, Gorbash, saying, no, no, it's cool. I'll go get him. No, Gorbash says that takes too long. I'm just going to go and get him. Right. And so Gorbash goes to go get him and the 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 evil dragon drops Peter and Gorbash actually gets to him. Yeah. And then that's when Carolinas finishes his thing and it merges them together. I was like, dude, you just, you screwed the pooch hard on this, bro. Yeah, and that's the thing is he doesn't know what he did. He combined them and he doesn't know how to uncombine them because he doesn't know what he did to combine them. 
He just sort of went like, oh, blast it all, Kala! And then, like, a beam went up. And Kala is, like, the one thing he says all the time. Which Kala made... is, like, his abracadabra. Yeah. It's, it's his power word. Yeah, I, his power word. See, I'm thinking it's, like, his safe word. <laughs> Whoa! Yeah, no. no, him, no, and no. Sir, it's him and Sir Neville. He's like, my, my safety word's banana. Mine's st- Kala. I got some stuff to say about Sir Neville. I do, too. Okay, but but before that happens, though, what something that also <laughs> that I boring. noticed was... <laughs> Something that I noticed was that Peter, when he gets transported to the world, Melisande, who's this princess, who's basically like uh, Carolina's daughter, yeah, comes out of this daughter. Yeah, so like at some point she comes out of the cottage before he gets turned into a dragon, and he looks at her and he goes, "My fairy princess, oh, I made her everything I desired in a woman." <laughs> yeah, and I'm thinking, you just said that to this chick's dad. Oh and, my god, you know how? <laughs> and then he goes, "Well, uh, what I meant to say." Because, okay. And the dad is cool with it. No, so you have to explain. By the way, the dad's nose looks like a dick. It does, and it goes down and passes. It's a big old, like, floppy dong. So you have to explain that, that in the, in the movie, Peter had created a game called The Flight of Dragons. In the real world. In the real world. And he had carved pieces, like chessmen. For his board game. For his board game. That looked exactly like all the characters in the movie. So he had a Carolinas, a Solarius, a Lotajal, an Omadon. A uh, Melisande, a Gorbash. And so when he says, Oh, my fairy princess, she's everything I ever wanted in a woman, he had a piece that he had carved and probably played with himself at night with. Oh, God. That's like too far. I wasn't thinking about it that That's way. That's exactly but... what he was doing because he was a lonely, lonely guy. He did. I mean, to be fair, he's some dude living in Boston who. Started off working on a STEM degree and switched to making Dragon Board games. Yeah. So he probably oh, is like we, we hashtag alone forever. Yeah, we totally missed that part. Is the reason that Antiquity chose him is because he's the first of of uh, Great Peter's descendants who is a man of science, and that's why Antiquity chose him. And Antiquity says as much. Yes. Yes. So they they uh, get combined and they go off on a quest. And the first thing that happens is uh, Gorbash and Smurgle. Smurgle starts teaching, not Gorbash, but Peter in the body of Gorbash. Starts, uh, Smurgle starts teaching, teaching Peter how to be a dragon. Because Peter doesn't know how to be a dragon because he was just combined with a dragon. Yes. So they rob dwarves. They eat essentially diamonds. Yes. Okay, so so in, in the book versus in the movie, the description is very similar. But in the movie, they eat diamonds... Then they eat limestone. They grind it up kind of like in their gullet like a bird. Yeah. And then the hydrochloric acid in their stomach uh, reacts with the crushed up limestone, which creates hydrogen, which then gets released. And then there's like this little kind of electrical, it's electrically charged. Thor's like, thimble. They call it Thor's thimble. It's, a, it's like this little electrical thing on the roof of his mouth that then ignites the hydrogen, which gets uh, released as fire. Yeah. And so that's they ex- how they breathe fire. Yeah. They expand their chest, which expands the hydrogen. Their bodies are drawn like big balloons. Yeah. As a result. Yeah. Um, and that's part of like the way that they're animated is directly influenced by this description. Yeah. And this all comes from the book, by the way. And that's how um, that's how the the book The Flight of Dragons explains how dragons are able to fly. Well, the only difference was is in the book they said that uh, that the dragons had rapidly uh, growing bone, which would then react with the massive amounts of hydro, uh, hydrochloric acid. But but other than that, I mean, so it creates a plot point where 
if you expend all your fire, you won't be able to fly until the next day when you replenish it. So right. that happens multiple times with Peter where he doesn't really know what he's doing and he blows out all his fire and then he's not able to fly yeah. away and he, whenever like issues happen. He's a premature ejaculator. He is. Yes. Before we go further, there's something that I wanted to mention because Peter is, for me, this like kind of hypocritical enigma. He starts off, he says that he was, he started off on this path of like research and science, Mm -hmm. but then claimed that it quote, bores me. But then at the end, so at the end scene, he does this like science recitation as the very reason to reject magic. Yeah. And, and for me, that just, it felt very weird because he goes through this whole process. I mean, they go on this quest, like they encounter monsters, they end up in an inn, they fight uh, some troll, and then they end up in the land of, you know, Omadon and they... Get put to sleep, and then Peter basically fights Omadon by reciting math. So, and 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 the whole journey is like it's fine, but that ending scene is both hypocritically stupid, and as a eight year old, five year old kid watching this movie, awesome because I love that see, scene. As as an adult, I I disagree. So what it is, I think that I think that there are there are two arcs. Two character arcs in this. So you have sort of the hero's arc of him, you know, learning how to be what he is and then overcoming obstacles as like the dragon that he is. But then you also have his arc as a person. So you have you have him establishing that he was a man of science. But then he couldn't concentrate on the science anymore because he, he, he says in the he says in the movie, how could I think about like complex equations when you could think about dragons? Why would I do that? The dragons are so awesome. So, yeah, that's true. So that's the mentality that he goes into the movie with, or he goes into his quest with. And as he as he becomes a dragon and as he goes through that stuff, I think more he realizes that the stuff of dragons is mostly science like he uses his science and he realizes how important it is to discover what it means to be a dragon and how things work and then when in the broader aspect of magic he realizes that that the things that magic does the things that magic do the the different it's not really magic it's not really magic it's it's more the unknown. It, it's sort of it's sort of him growing as a person. Saying, so that goes saying, back to the I'm, whole like, Carolinas thing. Yeah, he's like, I'm a kid. I love magic. Magic is so awesome. And then throughout the throughout the quest, he realizes maybe magic isn't as powerful as I thought. Maybe science is actually more powerful because when he confronts Omadon in the final confrontation, Omadon says. Like, I am so powerful, I can do anything. Ask me. Ask me to do anything. I can you move see the, the sun? sun. See the sun up there? I will take the sun and I will pluck it out of the sky. And he says, wait, no, you can't do that. What do you mean you can pluck the sun out of the sky? The and he says, is- he says, where you see the sun now is not where it actually is. Because of like, the speed of light. And yeah, blah, and, and, and Omadon says, what do you mean? I can see the sun. It's right there. I'll do it. And, and then it's like says, it takes eight minutes for the for the light of the sun to get to Earth. And so it, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I think at that point he realizes the fundamental okay. flaw of magic, right. and that he grows and says, "Well, then no, magic isn't that powerful. Science is more powerful than magic." And that's why he does his weird incantation at the end, where he's. I mean, that part of it I liked, uh, like as a little kid. It's I, very, it's very silly. It's it very is. silly for what it is. As an adult, it is very silly. He essentially defeats Omadon, spoiler alert. He defeats Omadon by by essentially reciting, reciting 
theorems and basic scientific theorems. Yeah, like he he calls up a body in motion theorem. tends to stay in motion. Yeah, and stuff from Newton. Yeah, yeah. he calls out a bunch of basic science. Incantations can't hurt me. I have some incantations of my own. How about a body in motion tends to stay in motion? Protons have 1,832 times the mass of electrons. All light is bent or refracted as it goes from one medium to another, save in a direction perpendicular to the interface between the two mediums. from their specific type which individuals present. Gravity varies as to the inverse square of the distance. The velocity of light is equal to the wavelength times the frequency of vibration. The geometrical properties of the space-time continuum are determined by the masses present in space and time. I, I was talking to Sean earlier when we were out grabbing something to eat, and I had mentioned that this scene for me as a kid, I think, was like part of the inspiration for what kind of drove me to kind of be of that mindset. Because I, I'm very much of I'm very much that way that like I'm like an evidence based kind of dude. And in this movie I think kind of was like a deep influencer for me for that. And I didn't really realize it until watching it. And thinking back about it, and and the timing and everything else, um, and it makes sense. Uh, I just didn't realize it. Yeah. But but I mean, I never thought about. I guess I never thought about the Peter thing in the way that you described it. It makes sense because he's he's growing as a, he's growing as a person because he has a very childlike mentality when it comes to magic. Like that's all he cares about is that how awesome would it be? I mean, you and I could think of the same thing. Anybody out there could think of the same thing. Like how awesome would it be? for magic to exist and we'd be able to do all this cool stuff with magic and then you encounter magic and you're like well wait a minute magic isn't all that powerful because i already know what does all this stuff that magic is pretending to be you know that's true yeah i mean i kind of think we're going way down the hole but no 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 you're right though but but that's see when we were talking earlier and i said i had a lot of like after watching this movie again and really giving it sort of a critical eye i had a lot of more philosophical Things that's, to take away from yeah, it. Yeah, that's true. And, and it's stuff like, well, so they go on this quest and 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 they gradually gain followers. And the, the quest is to defeat Omadon because Omadon is going to essentially... Omadon is essentially going to end the world with his magic because he's the magic of evil and, and, and hatred and all the black magic awful stuff. So they go on the quest... And they overcome all these obstacles. And you just watch the movie. I mean, it's a really entertaining movie. Yeah, there's there's this, like, they fight these sand mercs. That sand are ba- mercs. That, that are basically, like, uh, rattlesnake-sounding rats. They drive you crazy with the chatter. Yes. And that's how they get another ally, which is Arag. Yeah, at that point, by the way, Sir Orin has the wimpiest 
horn yeah. ever. Yeah, so he blows a horn to he blows a horn to get the dragons to come. This is when they're robbing the dwarves. That's... Yeah, no, it, it's so bad. Yeah, it kind of sounds like a wet fart. Yeah. So uh, then the Sandmerks show up and they drive and them they, crazy. Yeah, and they deal with wood elves and um, the, and then they find uh, Sir Orin lucks out and finds a hot chick named Danielle who's an archer. Oh, so by the way, Sir Orin totally it totally gets some in the end. By no, the way. no, 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 no. So well, yes, but so Sir Orin, the issue that I had with Sir Orin, so he's talking to Peter before the Sandmerk attack. And he says, you know, I should really I should really be more cross with you, Peter. He's like, well, why? He's like, well, I swore to fall in love with Melisande. And this happened. So he says, like, about a dozen years ago, he tells he tells the story. He's about, like an old dude. So he tells the story about how Gorbash was born. And he has a fight with Briog, who goes and shows up and starts eating all these dragon eggs. And he decides, well, I'm going to fight him because why is this guy destroying this next generation? And so they have a fight. He ends up saving, he ends up defeating Briog, he ends up saving Gorbash, and he gives it to, uh, he goes and takes it to Carolinas, who's just adopted a daughter, who's like five years old. And he's like, I swore then and there that I would fall in love with her and marry her later. Which is creepy as shit, because he's a grown-ass because, man. Yeah, he's like time, in his 40s no, at he that had, time. At the time, yeah, he's like in his 30s, 40s. And then, I'd say 40s. Yeah, and because at the time of the quest, he's graying, he's probably in his 50s. Yeah, mid-late 50s is about how old he is. Yeah. Which means he was swearing to have, like, the sexes like, with a five-year-old. Yeah, it's like that scene from, uh, it's like that scene from... Twilight? Twilight. I don't know anything about Twilight. So, I'm going to I'm going to score 0 on your yeah, Twilight so, question. So there's a thing in Twilight where like the the, I'm the, so the werewolves, the werewolf guy, one of them, he like falls in love with an infant. And he's like, "Oh, I've I've like imprinted on this infant and I'm going to fucking bang her later." Ew, gross. Yeah. Like that's oh, not to- okay. totally like 18 years later, but I'm going to I'm thinking about it now. No. And that's what it is. He's like he's like doing Ugh. it to a 5-year-old. So he gives the dragon to the 5-year-old and he's like he's like, "I'm going to fucking bang her later." Well, but he met that that archer chick and yeah, he like Danielle. Yeah, he like So Danielle saves them from the, the wood elves essentially. And they at some point they end up like in this inn and when they're the, way in and when they're at the inn um they so Orin's like i'm gonna go to sleep or whatever and he like grabs her there's like a, a a moment when they they make a point to show him saying like let's go to bed and he holds danielle's hand and they leave the table yeah everybody else is still at the table and he goes to bed so the the inn gets attacked by this like big ogre troll thing yeah it's an ogre with, yeah. yeah with the three eyes or whatever and and two mad eyes. Now they're they're sleeping in different rooms because it shows the scene where where the ogre punches through the wall and grabs her orn and then punches through the wall and grabs Danielle. Does it actually show him grabbing Danielle? It does. It does? Yeah. I thought it only showed him grabbing Sir Orin. No, there's one with Sir Orin and then there's a second okay. one with Danielle. I know because I was watching and I rewatched it to make a point. So they, so I think they, they, they retired to their own rooms. They went upstairs, they banged, Just, or maybe they got a handy in the hallway or something, <laughs> and then they went to bed. Handy Manny. Handy Mandy Danielli. Yeah. Uh, no, it was... And and so... There's the 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 point that, that I was talking about, about the flight of dragons, yeah. happens, like, at the very end of this movie. And, yeah, so they go... They, and when they, I watched that, I was like... God damn it, Sean. It's true, right? It's so, you. So uh, so after they leave the inn, they go into Omadon's realm. It's sort of like going into fucking Mordor. They go into Omadon's realm and they fight a, a giant worm that's like that spews sulfuric acid and 
Somehow, uh, Peter, as the dragon, blows fire into it, but then wastes all his fire and blows it up. And yeah. then they, and then there's a giant um, cloud hand that Omadon uses to like. Uh, and it I thought puts, about this. Puts him to sleep. I thought about this whatever, too. Right? Yeah, no, no, it it, it, de- it demoralizes him. And I well, thought, whatever, yeah. I thought about this because he he makes a point. He has all these replicas on his table. He has all these replicas on his table of the guys, and he says these are exact replicas down to the smallest detail of all these people, and. He's like, let's see how they fare against me. And then he puts his hand over him, and then the big cloud hand comes out. And the only person not affected by the cloud hand is Peter. Because he's in the body of Gorbash. Because he's not exactly like the model. Because he's Peter inside of Gorbash. Yeah. You know, his possession of Gorbash reminds me of the the demons in Supernatural. Because the way he describes it... I can feel him sleeping in the back of my head. Yeah, it's like I can feel him sleeping in the back of my head, and I'm basically I'm in control of the body. Yeah. Uh, but but they have this thing with 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 Omadon, and there's this. Uh, he uses the, his shield of Saturn. Yeah, to, whatever to blow away the, yeah. the the thing, and then everyone's fine. And then they they, they have an epic battle with Bree. Or no, so then all the dragons come. They show up, and the the dwarf plays the the song in the flute, and, and Peter totally assumes that because he's a dwarf. Knows how to play a fucking flute. Racist. No. Seriously. <laughs> he says, he says, see the tiny flute in your saddlebag? Give it to Giles. Now, dwarf, pipe me a tune. And he's like, okay. Dance, monkey, dance. It's like, what? How do you fucking know that? Maybe Danielle knows it. That's offensive to me. There's this scene though, um, where where like they they that ends up happening and then they all fall asleep because of the flute. Yeah, because and, and Sir Orin fights this Briog. Yeah, so so Sir Orin fights Briog, um, but also Danielle and Giles both get killed by Briog. And Arog does. Yeah, too. and Arog gets killed too. And, and Sir, Sir Orin and Sir Peter is asleep because he's a dragon and he gets put to sleep yeah. with the flute too. So Sir Orin is like he's all butthurt about Danielle dying. It's like I could have spent eternity yeah. with you, blah blah blah. And he has this the most badass speech about his sword. Yeah, blade with whom I have lived, blade with whom I now die. Serve right and justice one last time. Seek one last heart of evil. Still one last life of pain. Cut well, old friend. And then farewell. God damn it, that speech is just so cool. Yeah. I, I actually went and I looked up the quote <laughs> after after watching it because I was like, man, that's an awesome quote. I want to save that for later. What does he say? Like, blade by which I live? <laughs> Blade by, by which, which I, I die. die. Yeah, it's so bad. It's so badass. Yeah. And then Peter has his like whatever he, with Omadon. Yeah, he says he essentially says like Omadon comes out and he and he's like ah oh, I won. And then Peter says not quite yet. And then he appears on top of Gorbash, and he was like I was I just realized that. Two things cannot occupy the same space at the same time, and then poof, here I was. Yeah, and then so he uses logic to get out of his enchantment. Yeah, and then that's when he does his recitation, and he ends up in the modern day. And then Melisande shows up in the in the pawn shop because she sacrificed her time with antiquity yeah. to be in modern times with Peter because apparently the thing, they're in love. Well, because so. because Peter, in order to defeat Omadon, has to deny all magic. He he tells him that he says, "I deny all magic." And then he defeats him with logic. He does his he does his incantations of of uh, scientific theorems, and right? Such. And then Omadon's defeated. 
And then Omidon's defeated, and Peter has the shield of Saturn, which is made out of pure gold, which he uses to, like, pawn. To- yeah, he ends up in real life, and he's, he pawns the shield and the flute. But Millicent shows up with the crown of Omidon. Yeah. And it's like, Millicent! Yeah. And then that's it. And then the movie ends, basically. Yeah. So, so there's a part in the beginning of the movie where... At the beginning, with the with the with the mill, with the the mill wheel, where where Carolina says that logic and magic need to like, exist side by side, and he goes further to explain the purpose of magic later on in the movie, where he says man looks at fairies and sees their flight, and he's jealous, and he creates machines that make him, that allow him to fly and soar in the air. He calls them airplanes. He you know sees a magician use his crystal ball, and he's like. I want to do that. So he creates television and telephone and stuff. So we can see. So essentially he says. Saying that magic inspires technology. Yeah. And right. the whole the whole point at the end is that Peter denies magic in order to defeat the villain. He denies him saying that logic is more powerful than magic. And then uh, the whole point was to get the crown. So Omadon gets destroyed. He gets the crown. He takes it to Melisande who at this point has been put into this like sleep of death. Because of the sand marks earlier. So he goes to her and Carolinus is like, oh yeah, you know, he gave you the crown so that woke you up. And she says, no, he kissed me and that's what woke me up. He says, what? He kissed you? That woke you up? Like, that doesn't make sense. And so Carolinus says, well, maybe Peter isn't totally lost to the realm of magic. And that sort of, that sort of like presents the point that magic in the in the case of the story, magic is sort of the inspiration of all the logical scientific thing. So I mean, it's one of those things where if you think about it, if you take something um, to a logical conclusion, like if you if you go back far enough, there's there's let's take the Big Bang for example. If you believe in the Big Bang, which I do, you take it back far enough, you come to a point where you don't know what happened you have to you have to have like a faith issue because you just say well there was an infinitesimal point of of energy and matter and then that expanded to fill the universe but then the question arises well where did that infinitesimal point of matter and energy come from and there's not really a good answer for that and so that that's sort of the thing where like you don't have whether it's magic or religion or spirituality or mysticism or whatever like that's what fills the gap and that's what inspires type of thing. So I, I mean to kind of to kind of go to that like just quickly like the the idea of of magic or whatever it's it, for me it's 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 almost more like like we don't have the answer yet. So we're going to yeah. explain it away with something magic that we don't understand and eventually we will. So like the big bang as a for, for example if you go back far enough of course you get to a point in which we don't 100% know what happened before this point that doesn't mean that we won't ever figure it out exactly like like that happens with things all the time in which we say well we don't know exactly how this works right now today exactly. but that doesn't mean 100 years from now that we won't yeah so it's it's almost like the ex- this movie is is kind of saying well since you don't know um it's okay to use your imagination but don't be closed off to the fact that, that imagination may eventually use your logical side to explain away the mysticism yeah like if you had like because it's like science is the like the scientific method and like what we discover exists whether we believe it in or not yeah it's true regardless we're gonna believe in what we want to until we get to the point in which uh we are proven otherwise yeah which i guess is what this movie is about yeah if you take if you take like the dragon thing for instance and how peter figures out how dragons fly 
you could have been a person 100 500 500 years ago ago who have heard of dragons and then sort of work out the way if you had the scientific knowledge you work out the way that these dragons who are obviously magical mystical creatures how they exist and fly and thor's thimble yeah all the stuff and 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 the point when when peter is talking to smurgle and trying to figure it out smurgle's like what does it matter? It's like, you don't use this, those wimpy yeah. man words. Well, he, he says, what does it They're matter? They're called you, fire rock. You have this thing in the roof of yeah. your mouth. It doesn't matter what it is. It creates fire. He says, well, why does it... No, that's what he says. Why does it come out as fire? When we expel the gas, why does it come out as fire? It's like, he it says, just does. you got no, fire in your belly. That's he says, what happens. We're dragons. Dragons breathe fire. What the fuck else do you need to know? And he's like, no, 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 that doesn't make sense. I need to figure this out. And he's like visualizing it, and then he does right. the whole diagram. Well, and you know what's interesting is that kind of shows. Uh, I what I did like about that one scene is is it's kind of this um, divide between there. There are definitely two kinds of people when it comes to things. Those who say, I don't know how this works, but I need to know why. Yes. And then there are people who say, I don't know how this works, and that's okay. I don't need to know. I'm going to make some shit up because uh, it's too hard for me, or I'm too lazy, or whatever. I mean, maybe that's my own bias kind of of impressing upon that concept. Science is awesome. Because I'm definitely a science is awesome. Like, I want an answer. I want an answer for everything. And some people aren't. They say, I don't know how planes work. I don't need to know. And I'm like, it's called lift. <laughs> he says, he actually says at one point when he's learning how to fly, he says, I know you don't want to hear this, but this is exactly how a 747 does it. Which is weird because the dragon's not going to understand what a 747 is. Yeah, and also 747s don't use hydrogen. No, exactly. I mean, lift. he's talking about lift, but like... He's talking about lift interaction. But it, stuff, it, yeah. his a better example would have been a Zeppelin, but whatever. I mean... yeah. At the end of the day... This is exactly how though, the Hindenburg exploded. <laughs> which at, is how Breon dies. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. At the end of the day, though, this movie is... It's still good. Yeah, this movie is 35 years old? I showed it to my kid, my three-year-old. She loves this movie. The animation is great. She enjoyed it. In fact, she asked me to watch it today before we came in. Oh, we nice. didn't have time. We were going to do something else. I was watching a scene from it. Uh, the music played. She goes, Daddy, I want to watch the dragons. I was like, no. So the uh, animation is great. The acting, for the most part, is great. For the most part. John Ritter... Uh, yeah, there's a scene where like they're trying to to with the sandmarks with the sandmarks and they're singing a song and he sings Oh Susanna and it's really terrible and it's like it's one of those things where like like this song is free to sing on TV because yeah. there's no royalty rights and I can sing it all I want yeah, yeah that was basically what yeah. it was and I'm sure that I don't know what the song is that that Sir Oren sang but it's, it's probably a British sing some thing. sort of cuckoo bird song yeah. I remember that's all I hear when he sings it. That's actually pretty accurate. Yeah. No. Yeah. But I mean, <laughs> so aside from that, the animation is is interesting. I, I'm not going to say it's good or bad. There's some weird stuff like Milsan's eyes are too far apart and there's some weird shit with the animation. But it, I it, like the animation. It's its own style. Yes. Um, It's very different than anything else that you're going to find except for The Hobbit and a few other things. The other Rankin and Bass ones. Yeah, the yeah. Rankin and Bass. It's very much of its time animation-wise. There's really nothing else out there like it. Um, I think it's fine. I think, I think it the, works for what it is. Yeah, I think the story, even though they glaze over a few things, a few things happen like really fast, I think the story is still good. It's interesting. Yeah. You know? even it, it for will, I feel like for a modern audience, too, it's super interesting. Yeah. It, it, it will keep your kids interested. Uh, you won't mind listening to it. It's not overly it. violent, either. No. 
No, there's like maybe a few things where they talk about like a sword or something. I mean, it's not that bad. Yeah. Um, and now I die. And that's yeah. it. <laughs> I mean, the music is good. Yeah, no, the music is great. Music, in fact, like that's one of the things the music in all these Rankin and Bass things are great. Like yeah. Rudolph and uh, The Hobbit, all these things. The music I, is awesome. I think one of my favorite parts from it, I don't know why I just thought of it, is when Peter is facing Omadon. And Om- so Omadon gets like this massive Hydra dragon thing that comes yeah, off. Yeah, he's on got him. like seven A heads bunch of different and... Briogs after Briog dies. He gets a bunch of Briog heads, and he talks about how he is the most powerful and how he can do all this stuff. And at the end, as he's like growing bigger and bigger, he says, I am the world, and the world is Omadon. And I'm just like, oh. <laughs> like yeah. So I think we know that Sean liked this movie. Oh, uh, this movie is like one of my, like, this, it's one of those rare instances, I feel like, where you love the shit out of you, you love the shit out of some, some movie when you were a kid, and you rewatch it, and you're like, no. God it's, damn it, it's, it's still, still good. good. It's it still is good. It's still good. It is amazing. I mean, it it's is- weird and obscure, and the, and the honest truth for me is, I don't know why they have not made a live action of this. They were working on it like around 2012, 2014, and then it dropped off the radar. I don't know why it didn't happen. The story is interesting. Um, there's a lot of mythos there. I mean, it's it's right for you to fill it with some sort of you know, it was modern the penis day. Nose. It could have been the penis <laughs> nose. I don't know. Or the hair lip. Oh yeah, yeah, that was pretty <laughs> weird. I yeah, I don't know. But but I would I would recommend this for adults. I'd recommend this for kids. I, I I enjoyed it. Oh my god, yeah, I loved yeah. it. I can watch this movie over and over. I, I don't know about over and over, but I've seen it like about three times in the last week. So well, over and over as and much I as did, you can watch in a movie. And, over and, and it over. wasn't that bad to yeah. watch three times in a week. Yeah, so good. I mean, right now my kids watching Dragon Ball and Sailor Moon, so like you know, I, I I've got no complaints either way. But but this this was fine to throw into the rotation. She enjoyed it. So. Yeah. Um, I think that'll do it for this episode. Next week we're going to be doing because uh because the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers is going to be coming out soon, the new remake. And so next week uh and the week after we are covering Power Rangers, the yes. TV series. It's a, it's a show that I remember debuting when I was in 6th grade. Yeah, we were 5th or 6th grade. I think. I think it was 6th grade. It was 94. Yeah. Right? I think so. But but that's I That's just off a of memory. I I, d- I did a re- I did a report on on not a report but I had a project I think in 6th grade where we had to talk about uh a bunch of people that we would invite to dinner real or fiction alive or dead and the yellow ranger was one I invited. Oh, Chris with your I love she was cute, man. Not gonna lie. She's dead. Yeah, she is dead. <laughs> I oh, died in a car accident I think in 2003 or something like that. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, you know, not to get too, too super sad here, but we're going to cover Power Rangers. Yay! And, and it's going to be interesting, and, and I really want Sean and I to go see the movie, even I though keep, I know it's going to be probably not that great. Every I don't time care. I, every time I think of Power Rangers, I just turn it into the Dragon Ball thing. I'm like, power, power, rock the power, fucking power, Rangers. <laughs> I don't know See, why. Uh, all I can think of is the, bum, 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 ba-da-ba, the Green Ranger yeah. flute. Uh, we're not going to cover the Green Ranger episodes. Uh, Although, I guess we could. It's a five-episode arc, but we're going to cover the first couple episodes. Yeah. Um, Angel Grove, Bulk and Skull. Oh, Bulk and Skull. I wonder <laughs> if they're alive or not. What is it? Oh. Jason, Kimberly, Trini, Zach, and Billy. Billy, yeah. Oh, I got them all! Huzzah! And, then, and don't forget Alpha 5. Aye, 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 aye!
And Zordon. Yeah. Funny yeah. thing about Zordon is that I think they only recorded the, the guy who played him only got only got paid for like one session of recording because they just recycled that because they just dubbed him over and he was just like Oh, that's sad. Yeah, that sucks. sucks. Yeah, it does. Anyway, so that's what we're we'll covering get into next it more week. later. That's um, what we're covering. Yeah. So if you like this episode, please rate us five stars on iTunes. It really helps us out. If you want to talk to us at all. Or wherever you listen. Or wherever. Stitcher, Google Play. Rate us. Uh, leave a review. We appreciate it. If you yeah. want to talk to us on Twitter, we're very responsive. It's uh, RemasteredCast, at RemasteredCast on Twitter. We also have Facebook, and we're also very responsive there. Just search Childhood Remastered. You'll you'll see us pop up. Yeah, if you, we, want you can do old-timey email. Old-timey. If, yeah. if you want to send us an email, you can you can put on the Pony Express to Childhood Remastered at gmail.com. And the Gmails. And then our music, of course. Our music, yeah. If you like our intro music, uh, we'll have a link in the description. We also have a link on our site. Um, thank you so much to uh, John Howarth for the music. The song is called Nascent. We really like his stuff. If you want to check him out, do... Go uh, go ahead. And yeah, that'll do it for us tonight. Yeah, that's it. I hope you've enjoyed uh, this trip down memory lane. Until next time, this is Sean. And Chris. And we will see you next time. A flight of dragons! <laughs> see ya.